Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. I'm here with Jay Jones, and this is Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. It's a cold, rainy, icy Monday. Yeah, we're barely like making it with the temperature being just <clears throat> enough to where the roads aren't iced. Oklahoma City got it though. Yeah. It's real icy up there. Mm. All over. Yeah. Yep. Looking forward to getting this done today and gonna go probably get by the fireplace. Okay. After this. Yep. So you should uh just bask in the warmth of knowing that Donald Trump looks like he's gonna be the presidential nominee. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was thinking about that this morning. Yeah. Do you think about like um the other candidates? I believe like Ron DeSantis was the obvious choice. Like if we if we pick the people who are gonna govern us based off of like their abilities to govern effectively, mm-hmm. I mean he's gotta be the best. Florida is you know, what he's done in Florida, no one even comes close to that. So but uh, I think for him, he's he was a little bit weird. He came across a little weird. Did you, did you catch that? A little, yeah. And I th- and, and I think we re- presidents are really picked more on their like uh, marketability. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Ever since Reagan, it's kind of like who is the best in front of the camera, right? And so, yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day he'll get a shot. Mm. Yeah. He might need some acting lessons or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> It'll be a crazy year. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. We get to watch all the uh, left-leaning evangelicals lose their minds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Beth, really? I mean, Beth Moore, <laughs> Beth Moore is already... You know, they start lamenting. They talk about a lot about loving your neighbors, especially when they're trying to force vaccines on everybody. But if you, if even if you just take that approach, um, if you want to like love your fellow man, if you're gonna just use like your brain and look at the world, the world was better with Trump, infinitely better. Like we're on the brink of World War Three. That's not an exaggeration. Like we're there's chaos all over the world. And uh, it's because, you know, our president can't even string two two sentences together of coherent thought. Under judgment. We're just under judgment, the judgment of God. So, weak presidency, world falls apart. Mm. It's the way it works. Yeah. Well, I, I thought before we uh, we jump into the, the text this morning that we would talk uh, just for a few moments about uh, something that came out last week uh, from Alistair Begg. Mm-hmm. Um, this was uh, this was a podcast that he did, uh, an interview he did. This was back in, like, what, October? Yeah, it's been a Somewhere while. Around there? It kind of took a bit to get out. Uh, it just, I don't, I don't even know how this, this kind of stuff comes out like this. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, 
I don't know. It'd probably be best to just listen to it so people can sure. hear. Sure. Yeah, I guess if you got it. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it pulled up here. <clears throat> uh, well, we can listen to uh, to Alistair Begg for a minute, and then we can just briefly touch on it. I, I, I thought it'd be helpful just because uh, I imagine that there are people probably in our, our church that are going to come across it and, and wonder, what do we do with this? Yeah. Because Alistair Begg is one of those um, giants, I think, mm-hmm. that people respect. Yeah. Well, rightly, I think. Yeah, once he got good, like good preacher. 30, 30 years mm-hmm. plus. Yeah. Yeah. Preaching faithfully. Yeah. So to hear him say something like this is is pretty shocking. Yeah, we had so. uh, you know, we had someone ask <clears throat> us about it already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so if if uh, if one person's asking, I imagine other people are going to have questions, so uh we can listen to it and just touch on it for All right. a couple of minutes. All right, here we go. Elf would not be where they are were it not for the amazing grace of God, were it not for his compassion towards me. And in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I asked the, I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, Mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared Mm -hmm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, So grandmother comes to him. My grandson is marrying a transgender. <laughs> I don't even know what that. I think that, that means. Stra- is that a straight? Is that a straight? What? <laughs> like, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't I, know what that is. I think it means you're gay. Anyway, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, and uh, what should I do? And Alistair Begg's uh, counsel was: Does he know that you follow Jesus and that you think this is wrong? If he does, go to the wedding and give, even give them a gift. Yeah. Um, Because you'll surprise them by your love, but you'll just reinforce um, their stereotype, Mm -hmm. stereotypical thoughts about Christians if you don't go. Right. Yeah. Bad advice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty bad advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, you're not a, it, does he know that you can't affirm this then 
go and like do everything that looks like you're affirming it. Right. Like that's <clears throat> well, I think what he d- is not understanding. First off, it's no reason to like jettison him. I believe because he just preached right. like a. It hasn't even been a year, I believe, he preached on this topic very faithfully, you know, and without being ashamed at all of what the Bible says. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think that this means that Alistair Begg now is like right. a liberal. No, <laughs> like he's apostatized. Yeah, he just. I think he made just made he made an error in uh-huh. application. Yeah. Um, and I think his application stems from not really understanding what they would believe about their grandmother coming. Or a friend. You know, mm-hmm. So, for instance, we are we had this scenario in our church probably like I don't know, yeah, seven yeah, years so, seven yeah. years ago mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, and uh, so we had a one of our church members, a woman, <clears throat> her best friend. So imagine it's your best friend from the time you're a little kid. You grow up kind of together through high school, even even through college. Your best friends, but then you convert, you become a Christian and a real one, mm-hmm. not like a cultural Christian. And so her friend obviously did not. And she was getting married to uh, a woman. And so there was, you know, this situation, like, what do I do? Which she already really knew what she was going to do, which was to not go. But how do you then go about explaining it? So she wrote a very long, very good letter. Mm. I wish I actually had a copy of it. Maybe I can still get one to share with other people in our church on how to write a letter and explaining why. So it was very clear that she affirmed that she still wanted them to be friends. She still loved her. And that she was in no way trying to cut their relationship off, and she just could not affirm that because to affirm to come to the wedding is to affirm what she's doing, and to do that would be a denial she believed of her Lord. Mm. So the friend's response was um, maybe a surprise to some people. The person who got defriended was the Christian. The Christian already made it plain, right? I don't want our friendship to end. I still want you to be my one of my close, like my best friends. We grew, grew up together. We know, you know, we can't undo all of that. I still care about you. I still love you. But then the return letter was, if you can't accept this and accept who I am, like if you can't come to the wedding and affirm this, then you don't affirm me. You don't. You're not affirming my who I am as a person, like my identity. Yeah. And if you can't affirm my my wedding, then we can't be friends anymore. So really what the gay person was doing was saying, if you don't deny Christ and you don't deny your Christianity, we can't be friends. Right. Right? Um, and that's what I think you're going to see more and more today, mm. and people are going to have to understand that and know that. Um, being there for someone in this way, I think that he, the advice that he gave is just doesn't match the reality. Like right. when you go to a wedding you are affirming what's happening. Like, if you're not, I think it, they, no, they used to say, does anyone here oppose? Like, maybe if you want to say you can go to a gay, gay, gay wedding, go and then stand up and oppose it in front of everybody mm-hmm. and preach the gospel and right. then walk out. <laughs> that could be the only scenario I could see where mm-hmm. maybe you could go if you were going to do that. Yeah. And that's going to get real awkward. Like, yeah, <laughs> real quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's bad advice. You ever given bad advice to somebody, Jay? <laughs> I I don't know that I've given that that level of that bad, bad advice. of advice. But um, I also haven't been faithfully preaching for thirty plus years. So right. 
Yeah. yeah. So it's bad advice. Um, bad counsel. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to see him respond to the the, right. the you know the critique that's coming out. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that we we don't have to we don't have to just like you said jettison Alistair Begg right over one one piece of bad advice. It, mm-hmm. It's not like he's coming out as <clears throat> like transgender affirming. Right, you know, um, he he hasn't uh, as far as far as I know, he hasn't apostatized. He's, well, I, I mean, mean, he's a solid yeah, guy for wanna, for decades. He's wanna, he's yeah. a solid solid preacher. Yeah, and I think he just preached through Romans one, so you can check that out and, and see see what you, what he believes. Yeah, what the text says. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a reminder that uh, you know don't uh, you can you can look up to these guys but don't idolize them mm-hmm. because they they aren't infallible they're right. they're still humans and they'll still sin they'll mm-hmm. still mess up yeah but they'll still give bad advice sometimes mm-hmm. so yeah uh, but we can also show grace when uh, when those times come yeah I, I certainly would want grace when i <laughs> give bad advice You're right yeah <laughs> yeah and i haven't been i haven't been preaching nearly as long as alistair Begg. Mm-hmm. so all right. Well, thought that that would just be um, helpful to to touch on this morning. But uh, we are in the Book of Romans. Indeed. Um, you're just you're shooting through this book. Just uh, you might need to you might yeah. need to to pump the brakes a little just bit. Just zooming, yeah. zooming right along. <laughs> Three verses. Three verses. Three yeah. verses. Yeah, of course, yeah. you were going to cover. You were going to cover more. Yeah. But I, I think that you. I think you did a, a good job. Uh, Cutting, cutting it, yeah. yeah. Um, dividing it, I think that, that yeah. was helpful. I think it was helpful for people. Yeah, I <clears> came <throat> in Friday and I had the last two points, and I was like, "There's just no way." Uh, the only way this is going to work is if I if I cut out a lot of the first two points and not elaborate on the last two points very much. So yeah. I was like, "We'll just cut them mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, maybe add a few more things in the first two. And yeah. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Um, so, we're uh, we are looking at Romans chapter one, verses two through four. Um, I don't know if you want to read two through seven or one through seven sure. uh, for us, so we can get yeah. kind of the the whole uh, passage. But we're going to be focusing on verses two through four. So, if you have a Bible, you can uh, open that and follow along. We'll ha- we'll put it up on the screen, and uh, we'll just walk through it. So, okay. you want to go ahead and read it, and then we yeah. can we can jump in. All right, Romans 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, we're going to be looking at verses 2, 3, and 4, and uh, really this is, what is the gospel? Yeah. It is the gospel. Uh, and you, you opened with um, uh, uh, an intro that talked about the, the prevalency of false gospels. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to know what 
the gospel is because there are so many things that are being promoted as the gospel. Yeah. And so we we need to we we talked about this at our community group uh Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. The fact that the the gospel is one of those words that Christians use and if we're not careful, we'll forget what defines the gospel. Mm-hmm. What what is the definition of the gospel? We, we just kind of assume that when you say the word that everyone has the same understanding, but that's not the case. Right. And you listed um, several mm-hmm. different, there are different, more, different, yeah, yeah. different, uh, different ways in which the gospel is um, confused or just downright contradicted and, and denied. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So you know, obviously, we think of the word of faith gospel, mm-hmm. word of faith prosperity gospel. Um. That is a plague of the evangelical world. Uh, even those that would say they're conservative Christians, uh, we—I mean, America just pumps it into other countries. Oh yeah, um, all, all around the world, it's uh, exported, and people are just—they just get fooled. Yeah, yeah. There's even like you know these false prophets now that in Africa, but they learned that from the American mm-hmm. po- prosperity gospel, uh-huh. yep. and it's really um, that. You can have health and wealth, so a sign of God's blessing is health and wealth. Mm. And the way to unlock that health and wealth in your life is faith. So faith is almost like a force that you can wield, and by words of power, the words that you speak in your life, you can manifest things. And so Jesus really isn't the substance of the gospel. He's just a means by which you can unlock for yourself. Mm. All the things that Satan offers to Jesus (laughs) in in the wilderness. Yeah. You right. can, I mean, you can see it. Uh, you can see the appeal to it if um, in in places like Africa, yeah, where there's a lot of sickness, there's uh-huh. a lot of poverty. Um, you you can see how these uh, these Western false preachers, you know, yeah. can go and and say, well, if you if you just do this, then uh, you'll have health and you'll have money. Yeah, everything turn around. You, I mean, you can see why that would be. Oh yeah, and even so attractive, right? And in America, where everybody wants that anyway, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So then there's that. Then there's the um, the the self help gospel, which is similar. It's similar to the word of faith gospel, but it's really more on a. I would say, almost like you know how people like get into yoga because they're like, oh, I I started yoga and. Like, it helped me to be less stressed. Mm-hmm. Like, it helped me to learn to fight anxiety, which mm-hmm. which those th- all those things can be true. It's like discovering a form of exercise. Like, some people discover running. Mm-hmm. They'll start running, and they're like, oh, you know. So it's almost like that, but it's with uh, religion, with, like, Christianity. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is a means to acquire happiness, as if happiness in the end is the is the final goal. Yeah, it's like, it's like, the, it's like the scriptures... Are reduced down to principles. Mm. Like if you follow these principles, these you know ten steps, mm-hmm. then you'll have a great marriage, right? Or you'll have uh, good finances. Yeah, right. And coming with that, you know, you'll people will do all kinds of things that are actually against what the Bible teaches a Christian is to do on how they're to live. So you may have you may find some like cohabitating adults who 
well, they're not ever going to get married. They both say that they're Christians, and they say Jesus is okay with this arrangement. Mm-hmm. We know that the you know according to you, we're living in sexual morality, but according to us, this works. Mm-hmm. Like that's self help gospel, and that plays out in a whole number of ways. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the social gospel, social justice gospel, um, still around, really became popular in the 1900s, turn of the century there. And a lot of the, I mean, all the denominations were kind of getting sucked into it. They all had their own battle with it, but the liberal denominations, the mainline denominations, really succumbed to it. Interestingly enough, most of those people, they were post-millennial too. I don't know if you know that. Um, But they saw in their work that they could... It's like uh, they confuse the gospel with like the effects of the gospel. So mm-hmm. if we as Christians should be caring for the poor, orphans, and widows, and we should seek justice for people that are oppressed, yeah. all those are out, outworkings of the gospel. They end up becoming the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find in those mainline denominations, they've jettisoned even like the resurrection of the dead, like they not just the, of the dead, but of Christ. Deny the virgin birth, deny the resurrection. So I think. Kind of a poster boy for that would be Martin Luther King. That okay. might come as a shock for a lot of people, but he denied he denied the divinity of Christ, mm-hmm. the virgin birth, and the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. So that really puts him outside of really Christianity altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really took hold, and it's still around today. And a lot of uh, you see it in a lot of things. It's kind of moved though. It's kind of shifted in the justice aspect toward like LGBTQ justice. Mm-hmm. You see that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's that one. Then there's the political gospel. Yeah. Um, and that one is, if liberals are drawn into the, the social justice gospel, this one, we see it playing out all around us over the past two elections, and yeah. we'll see it again this year. Mm-hmm. The political gospel is to, I think, people who would affirm Orthodox Christianity, they wouldn't deny the virgin birth, they hold to the sufficient of scriptures. They they get sucked in and drawn into the political gospel, and you know that they have because all that's all they ever talk about is politics. Mm. You know, politics, uh, whatever their you know their political group is, um, it's all they post about. It's all they talk about, and they're not talking about the gospel. They're not posting about the gospel anymore. It's only about politics. Um, so they would never come out and say, we believe like this party is our savior. Right. But their action, their motivations, mm-hmm. their passions are in that. And so can be drawn into it. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, some of these things are just the outworking of the gospel. We are supposed to take care of the poor and, and the fatherless and the widows. And um, we are supposed to um, care for the unborn and all kinds of, of social issues. But we um, we had Josh King on a couple of years ago, mm. and we talked about what what is a gospel issue, right? And our yeah. and our whole our whole discussion was about keeping the gospel the gospel mm-hmm. and not confusing it with like the outworkings, right? Of yes. Christianity, exactly. Yeah. Um, and we we have to constantly be reminded of that because we will just start to assume, right? Or or even just I mean we we can even do it in um, uh, like um, with good intentions mm-hmm. we can add to the gospel, right? And we need to constantly be reminded, 
here are the objective truths about the gospel. Uh-huh. This is what this is what the gospel is, right? Um, and and keep it uh-huh. at the forefront, right? And so that's that's what this sermon is about, right? Right. Yep. Exactly. So we're looking at. And this week and next week, it'll be four elements of the substance of the gospel. Now, there, there are more elements, but what which ones come up here in the beginning of Romans mm-hmm. is kind of what we're looking at. Right. And I think really there, there are four, though I may break down into some subcategories. I don't, I don't love to do that because people can get lost in the sermon uh-huh. when you do that. <laughs> but I don't know if, it's a, if, if it can be avoided or not. <clears throat> we'll see the best way to present it so that people can grasp it. But yeah, so that's what I guess this time we'll look at two. Okay. All right. So what to what next time? So there's four substances of or four elements of the the substance of the true gospel. Right. Right. We'll look yep. at look at two in verses 2 through 4. Right. Uh today. So, uh if you look at your text, uh, it's right there in front of you in verse 2, the, mm-hmm. the very first thing that he says. Um which uh maybe start with what like what does gospel mean? Cuz again, it's it's yeah. one of those words that it just gets thrown around. Yeah, we, so we we just talk about the gospel. You, it, I mean, it's just Christian language, and no one knows what it what it actually means. Yeah, it, just in its most general sense, the gospel means good news. Right, right. And so this is really gets taken out of you know the background of which they find themselves. So if you think of like the Battle of Marathon, remember when the victory was won and the runner took off running mm. and he ran twenty four miles back. And his pronouncement when he arrived was victory, right? So he came preaching a gospel, good news. He do, and he was a messenger of a gospel. Um, but a gospel can be heralded by one of Caesar's um, uh, preachers. I don't know what you would call them, criers, town criers. Yeah. Send a town crier out to mm-hmm. the town. Yeah. Caesar's conquered the Gauls, mm-hmm. and he brings back the spoils of war. That's right. a that's a gospel. Mm-hmm. So when Paul is talking about the gospel, first thing he said is this is the gospel of God, and we talked about that a little bit last week. The source of the good news, the originator, the one who this is from, is from God. So God has a good news for you, and Paul's the delivery messenger. And he tells you right plainly, like right off the bat, um, in these verses that this is concerning his son, which we'll get into in greater detail. But the first thing he says is this is... The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. Mm-hmm. So God's good news, the message that God has, he's already given it. And so he says this gospel that he's going to be preaching is not really just Paul's gospel, it's God's gospel, and God already gave it to us. Mm-hmm. And he gave it to us in the Old Testament, in the scriptures recorded by his prophets. Right. So this point is the promise of the gospel. And this gets to the continuity of, like, who is Paul? What is his message? Is this a new religion? Is this a sect that's just like many other sects that would emerge in the ancient world? Paul's got a new religion. Um, And he says, no, the first thing he wants people to see is the continuity of the gospel he preaches with what God already revealed. Mm -hmm. So, Right. So it's promised. I was ready for you to go after our Presbyterian brothers and sisters (sighs) with that one, Jay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was promised, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, It was was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so this is important because we get into, we touched on a little bit last time, um, what is the gospel that Paul is preaching? Is it the same gospel that Jesus preached when Jesus came preaching the good news? Um, or is Paul preaching something different, right? Um, I don't know when we want to play that clip. And whenever you're ready. We're definitely going it's, it's here. I've got it. I've got it all, all ready to go. Yeah, so today you'll hear people, again, as we said last time, they kind of put Paul, like they put him against Jesus as if, mm-hmm. well, first, the authority of Paul is not really the authority of Jesus, though we talked about an apostle who writes with the authority of Christ, mm-hmm. sent and commissioned by him for these for this very task to lay the foundation of the church. But then people will go as so far as to say today that they preach a different gospel. Mm-hmm. Paul's got a different gospel that he preaches than Jesus. Yeah. So you get into all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think as we go through this point, you'll see that they're the exact same. Right. But yeah, here's a crazy clip. I don't even know this guy's name. Uh, this is Brandon Robertson. Okay. We've talked about him on here before. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, Jesus called her a dog. Right. That clip we talked about years ago. Um, <laughs> this is like a, I don't know if this is like a Q&A yeah. that he did. And um, well... We'll watch it, and then we can talk about it. Turn, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you you'll want to get on on and watch this video, actually. You know, my one of my favorite comments here, uh, of this clip. I think I told you, this guy you did. You gotta go. You always gotta read the comments because they 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 never really disappoint, George. Mm-hmm. There's always something there. Yeah. This guy wrote. He said, "As soon as I saw how tight that guy's legs were crossed." I knew what he was going to say was going to be garbage. <laughs> look at look at him. <laughs> That's an unnatural way for a man to sit. Well, he uh, Brandon Robertson is a homosexual. Yeah, uh, he is a pastor in what is he? Is he Methodist? What is he? I don't know what he is. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> All right, let's let's listen to what he has to say. This one was submitted online. What do we know about Jesus and the actual teachings of Christ? And how do we divorce this from the usually hypocritical, Paul-centered, Paul-centric teachings of a typical church? Well, this is one of my favorite questions. Because if you grew up in conservative evangelicalism, you probably grew up in Pauline Christianity, where Paul is more quoted and more followed than Jesus. And this is something I've been studying a lot recently, actually, because it is perplexing to me how even in all of my theology degrees, um, it was all centered on Paul and figuring out how to teach the church about Paul's theology to the detriment of what Jesus said. And I actually don't know if you know this, but if you read the New Testament, you find that Paul and Jesus often come into contradiction with each other. And a couple things about Paul that should be said. Paul never met Jesus never heard Jesus preach. Paul only knows Jesus through secondhand knowledge. So as we're reading the writings of the Apostle Paul, we need to know who he is. We need to know his context. He's removed from Jesus himself. And Paul and Jesus are preaching two different gospels. Both are important to Christianity, but one is the gospel that we live by, and one is the Apostle Paul's unique mission. Paul's mission was to tell the story of Jesus around the world. That was his goal. 
And so when Paul talks about his gospel, and if you actually read Paul's writing, he refers to it as my gospel, not the gospel. His gospel is the story of Jesus. His goal is to go into the parts of the world that nobody's ever heard about this guy named Jesus who lived in first century Palestine and tell them the story. And Paul sums up his gospel by saying, Christ crucified, died, and risen. That's important. We need to know the story of Jesus. But the gospel, according to Jesus, is in Mark chapter 1. It says Jesus was going throughout the Galilee, preaching the gospel and saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. The message of Jesus was quite simple. God is doing a new thing in the world. God is calling us to a new way of living in the world. And Jesus' gospel is primarily social and ethical. It was about a new way of living, a new standard of justice. How do we live in a more just and generous world? How do we create a better world that benefits everyone? Paul's gospel was primarily theological. Who was Jesus? Why was he important? Both are necessary again. But at Mission Gathering, we, we really center, I try to center in all of my teaching, on the four Gospels, what Jesus actually said, what he actually did. And we use Paul as uh, a support for that message. But if Paul and Jesus ever come into contradiction, we're going to side with Jesus every time. And also in the New Testament, I want to encourage you to look at this too. Paul often debated with a lot of the early apostles. Paul and Peter disagreed with each other, and you read about their nasty fights throughout the New Testament. And Paul really didn't like James, who was the brother of Jesus. Peter and James were the people who knew Jesus best, who spent the most time with Jesus. And if you read the writings of Peter, and then you read the book of James, you find a message that's very, that mirrors exactly what Jesus said. James says, for instance, faith is good works. Paul comes along and says, that's not true. If Paul is contradicting James, who spent his life with Jesus, is the brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus, knew what Jesus taught, I would encourage us to side with James. Now, this is a different way of engaging scripture. We do believe the entire Bible is inspired by God, but we also have to understand the cultural context of the Bible. We also have to understand who the people are that are writing and speaking in the Bible. And as we engage with that contextual lens, the Bible actually becomes a much more interesting book and a lot easier to understand in one regard because you're not trying to make Paul and Jesus and James and Peter say the same thing because they don't. Yeah. <laughs> how do we even, I mean, we <laughs> where could, do we even start? <laughs> we could spend an entire entire episode of two hours probably talking about that. But if you just work, backward, work uh-huh. backwards, maybe he says he believe, they believe that all scripture is inspired by God, but mm. yet he'll say when there's a contradiction between James and Paul or Paul and Jesus that he always sides with Jesus. So I, I don't know why people like turn their brains off when they talk about the being of God, but a God who inspires contradiction mm-hmm. is not a God worthy of worship. Right. So you should just throw, if you actually believe that, stop wasting your time, mm-hmm. like find a different job. Like if I actually believe that, I would not go to church. Mm. I'd probably go play golf or something. Yeah. You know? Uh, so absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't even know if I think these people like don't engage God with their mind anymore. I really don't think that they do. Um, this, I mean, this guy he he talks about how he's studied this stuff, but he doesn't want to engage with all of the the many responses that have been 
put down on paper right. for centuries. Centuries, yeah. <laughs> centuries. Yeah. Um like Paul never met Jesus. Well, that's <clears throat> not what that's not what it says. Yeah. Um he didn't, you know, he never had an encounter with Jesus. He doesn't know what Jesus taught him. Well, I mean, I guess just call Paul a liar, right? Because Paul said it. Yeah, uh, people understood what he was saying, and they accepted. Yeah, his gospel. And Peter and James accepted that. Uh huh. They yeah. extend the right hand uh, of fellowship to him. Yeah, well, you you read about their nasty fights all over yeah. the place. Like, the one, the there's one, one. There's, there's only one, one. There's only one, and I would assume that he would, that Brandon would be on the side of Paul in that right. dispute. Yeah, like I, don't, I don't think he would side with Peter, right? In in that dispute, yeah, I think I mean, he would it, say that Paul was right. And Peter probably took the correction, it seems. And mm-hmm. Peter also acknowledges in his writings we talked about last week that mm-hmm. Peter says that Paul wrote Scripture, right? So, yeah, there's all kinds. Paul of... Paul doesn't like James. Well, it's really easy to understand what both of them are saying. And James, take James, the time to <laughs> James doesn't say faith is works. Yeah. Like, right. he's just spitting out lie after lie mm-hmm. after lie about the scriptures. Yeah, right. Um, I think I think if he ever met Jesus, would Jesus would say, "You are of your father, the devil. Mm-hmm. He's a liar from the beginning, yeah. um, or a murderer from the beginning. He lies. He speaks out of his own nature. Like that's what you're doing. Lie after lie after lie." I wonder if there's any motivation behind these lies. Uh, I can't imagine why he would want to get rid of some of Paul's authority. Right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh I mean that's that's just um that's just one right. That they preach person, a different gospel. Yeah. Jesus he, he's saying Jesus preached a social gospel, a social justice gospel. Right. Um repent for the kingdom of God is a hand. The question is repent of what? Right. Maybe it's repent of homosexuality. Mm. They ever they ever thought that? Yeah. Like the Roman Empire was all around, people were engaged in that. Mm. Um, even back then, I know that's a shocker. Um, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, you can get into God's kingdom, but you've got to repent, mm-hmm. leave what you love behind. But don't take what you love behind and then reinvent a new way of interpreting the scriptures that no one has even thought of in 2,000 years until yeah. just recently. Right. Yeah. So the gospel that Paul preaches. Yeah, is the same gospel he says that was promised beforehand through the prophets in the scriptures, and right. this is this is this is good for people to be reminded of that there's a continuity across the scriptures mm-hmm. that the gospel does not just suddenly appear in Matthew, like the New right. Testament isn't some something that's tacked on, uh-huh. um, but you know I. Raised, we, I mean, we talked about this. Raised in a, a Southern Baptist church, and what you get is is like just this these random stories throughout the Old Testament. There's Adam and Abraham, and there's Moses and David, and 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 then there's there's the story of Jesus, and they're just they're disconnected stories, right? But what Paul is is saying here is that the gospel has actually been promised throughout the Old Testament. It's a continuum, and so what he's, what has happened, what he's going to say, this is the gospel, and what he's preaching is a continuation of something that has been talked about, right? Uh, 
since the beginning of, of the Bible. Right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so you can see Paul and Peter are in complete unison. Jesus, after he's resurrected from the dead, appears to his disciples in that 40-day period. And during that 40-day period, he's teaching them from the Old Testament, right? And Jesus on the road, or the, there's two disciples there on the road to Emmaus, and they're discussing all of the things that have just happened, right? The, so they likely had been following Jesus for a while. They're not one of the 12, but they still were in that circle, and their leader is killed and crucified publicly, hmm. and he's buried. And so they're walking, and while they're walking, Jesus comes alongside of them, and I guess they're caught up in their emotions and everything that's happened, and they don't recognize him immediately. Well, he does reveal himself to them, and they understand who he is, but listen to his words to them in Luke 24, 25. O foolish ones of slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So there's a, a, there's a lesson. There's a biblical theology lesson from Jesus to these disciples explaining how this was in the Old Testament and, and Moses and the prophets. And then a little while later, he appears to those two run back to the other disciples. They're in a, the upper room. And then while they're there with the other 11, he comes to them again, and he says nearly the same thing. Mm -hmm. He says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms, there's all of the Old Testament, must be, fulfill be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written for that, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So there's a gospel in, the nut, in a nutshell right mm -hmm. there. It's the very same gospel that Paul preached. There's no different gospel being preached here. Mm -hmm. That Christ must suffer and die, be crucified, on the third day rise from the dead. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Yeah. That's the literal gospel Paul preaches. Yeah, and that's the, that's the gospel that uh, Peter and John, they, they preach. You, mm -hmm. you look at uh, Acts chapter 3, and they, they heal the man that was born lame, and um, they preach the gospel to the crowds that gather, and it's the gospel of what Christ has done in his death and resurrection and, and mm -hmm. repent and believe. Right. And, then, uh, and then Peter says that um, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also proclaim these days. All the prophets mm -hmm. have talked about what is happening here, right? And the message that's being proclaimed, mm -hmm. and so Paul is just picking up the same message that Jesus proclaimed, and that the 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 apostles, right, were proclaiming. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's the same message, right? And what's interesting is that you you read Galatians, mm -hmm. and Paul says something really interesting yeah, does. in Galatians. For sure. He says uh, in Galatians 3, 8, uh, all the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So again, same gospel. Mm -hmm. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all shall all nations be blessed. Mm. So, and that we'll, we'll get into in the, uh, the next point of this section of Romans. Like, what is the goal? Like, 
what is going on, and it's for the for the sake of Christ's name, for the glory of God among all nations. Mm. Um, there's literal perfect continuity between the Old Testament, the words of Jesus before his crucifixion, right? He he said these things were going to happen. Then after his crucifixion, telling them you should have known it because it's in the prophets. Let me show you all the places. And then what Paul preaches. They're preaching the exact same gospel. Right. And that is, I think, Paul's point here, is to to hear this and be ready to receive it as a continuation of the story. Mm-hmm. That's how, really how you should view it, Yeah, that the story is continuing. Right. He's just in a long line of, of prophets yeah. that have been talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this has... Um, major importance for how people read their Bibles. Uh-huh. Um, you, you don't read your Old Testament like a bunch of morality tales. It's not a bunch of fables mm-hmm. um, telling you how to you know, live uh, and be a good person. Right. But that's not what the Old Testament is about. Right. And also, it's, it's important to know that, that um, there's not a different way of salvation in the Old Testament right. than from the New Testament. Yeah, that's going to become explicitly clear as we begin to work through Romans. You know, after he elaborates on justification by faith alone, he is going to give some illustrations using Old Testament people, right? Uh, David and and Abraham. Mm -hmm. And he'll go into great detail with Abraham, because before Abraham was even circumcised, before he ever did any work, um, he was justified by faith. Mm -hmm. So very important to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you gave you gave a lot of passages that right. are, are promising the gospel uh-huh. in the in the Old Testament, and it was just a handful. Yeah, it's just of, a, of passages that you could have used. Just kind of just a sprinkling, but what I kind of wanted the people to see is that the three offices of prophet, priest, and king. Yeah, you can trace it that way. I mean, there are ways you can trace it through the institutions, mm-hmm. the the idea of the tabernacle, uh, the dwelling of God with man that preaches the gospel, the sacrificial system, all of that is is preaching and, and the gospel. But, you know, there you go, Deuteronomy, a new prophet is promised, one greater than Moses. Isaiah, a virgin birth is promised of, uh, of one who shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Micah promises where he will be born in Bethlehem. Like, there are so many of them. Isaiah then talks about him as a suffering servant, and where he functions as a priest, where the language of a sacrificial animal is used to describe a man, a human being. Um, and God crushes this this man. It's God's plan, his will to crush this man and put the sins of his people upon this man. But yet somehow this servant, suffering servant, his days are prolonged, right? And he sees the benefits of his work. right? And so it, it's so explicit all the way through that he's prophet, priest, and he's king, you know, the kingship. Promises made to to David and Samuel, Second Samuel, that one of his offspring will will sit upon his throne. His throne will be established, and his kingdom will never end. and And it will, he, will, he will do this for. And it always comes back to this: for my name, for the sake of my name, uh, God will do this. And then David, all over the Psalms, we could have picked a, a bazillion different ones, but <laughs> you know, Psalm sixteen speaks about this one who will not see corruption. And the apostles preached that, like the beginning of Acts. They're using those words to preach the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, they they, they use uh, Psalm sixteen mm-hmm. several times, right? Just in Acts. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. 
So everywhere. And then this resurrected king in Daniel, we see, I think this is a scene of his ascension. One like a son of man become, comes to the ancient of days and is given a kingdom. Um, and it's like a universal kingdom. It's like of all reality. And he's given all authority and power is given to this man. Uh, and the son of man is the main way Jesus described himself. That's what he that's what he called himself, the son of man. Right. He's not telling everyone I'm a human, mm-hmm. which he was. Uh, yeah. He's making a bigger mm-hmm. statement than that. Right. That everyone would have recognized mm-hmm. when he says the son of man to, about himself, all the religious leaders would immediately know he's talking about Daniel. And that would have made him pretty uncomfortable, I would imagine. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the gospel's promised uh, all through the Old Testament, and uh, this is in perfect unity uh, in continuity with the Old Testament, but it's also in perfect continuity with what Jesus said about himself. You know, over and over before he was ever crucified, he would tell his disciples, scriptures must be fulfilled. I must go to Jerusalem, be turned over to the leaders, and I must suffer, be crucified, but on the third day, rise again. And they're like, no, that's never going to happen. (laughs) Well, and he just told you, scriptures say this must happen. Mm-hmm. And after his resurrection, he tells them again, I told you, this had to happen. Mm-hmm. And he uses the Old Testament to tell them why it had to happen. Right. And Paul just continues that message. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the, the the teachings of the apostles are explaining the events of the gospel, but Jesus, he, he says that the Son of Man uh, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm-hmm. He, and that's that's language from Isaiah 53. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's, he's pointing them back to Isaiah 53. Why is he going to die? Right. It's as a substitute uh-huh. for the sins of his people. Right. Um, and so it's not... Um, that that kind of knocks the legs out of any like liberation theology preaching... Or social justice gospel, mm-hmm. like he, Jesus didn't come just to be an example of of standing, at, you know, preaching the power, right? Like that's not that wasn't the the point. The point right. was to come and be a substitute mm-hmm. and actually make atonement for mm-hmm. for sin, right. right? And through that, to make a new humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, we are in Christ. We are new, part of new creation now. And so, as collections, churches, collections of His people. What, what have Christians been doing, I mean, for the past 2,000 years? There's not another people group on the planet who have fed more poor people and taken more, care of more orphans on planet Earth than Christians. Even now in America, we get liberals who are like, hate conservative Christians. The level of outgiving and the level of social work done by Christians, mm-hmm. there's no one even close. Yeah. The, like, the government would have to take total control and tax us all, like 80%, to create social programs— to, to try to catch up to what Christians have done in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Like, and they still wouldn't get close. You can't go around this town and be like, and go up into like, uh, I don't know, some meeting of atheists and be like, hey, do you guys have a food pantry in here? No. Well, you could, you could probably find a hundred different food pantries in the churches in this town. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The people manning and working the homeless shelters, most of them are believers. Those of them are Christians, the founding of orphanages, Christians, right? So the, that social gospel stuff, they've lost the whole gospel altogether. And so, of course, they're 
when it comes to actually doing that stuff, they're they've they've lost all power. They have they have they have nothing behind it. Yeah. Because it's just now human will and human effort, which can never even accomplish it. But also, I mean, just think about it in this sense: if like maybe you're listening and you're not a Christian or you're struggling with a lot of things. Part of the point here, too, is that God is a promise keeper. If God makes promises, and we see all the promises he made, and we see that he kept them all, that he made in the Old Testament concerning Jesus, but then what if he makes new promises concerning his Son on this side of the cross and the resurrection? Right. Like, if God promises things to you, you can believe he'll do them. And this is a struggle for some people as they're, like, coming close to trusting in Christ. It comes down, I really think, to this— the gospel almost seems too good to be true. Mm. You're telling me that I don't have to clean my whole act up. I don't have to, to right every wrong I've ever done in my life. All I have to do is come to Jesus, yeah. repenting of my sin, acknowledging that I'm a sinner, and he'll just receive me and forgive me because of the work he did. That's too good to be true. Well, underneath that is not believing that God promises to do that. If God says he'll do it, he'll do it. Yeah. And he has done it. I mean, there have been... Uh, atrocious sinners in the world. I mean, Paul. Paul's one of them. He's a murderer. Paul is a murderer, uh, a persecutor of Christians, and he experienced that that truth for himself. Um, people feeling guilty and ashamed, and Christ promises and in, in cleansing of that and the giving of a new heart. Yeah. The fear of death. Uh, the promise of God is that you don't need to fear death. That in Christ, death is defeated, and. If if you're his, if you're one of his people, um, death is nothing to fear. So there are all kinds of promises to believe mm-hmm. that flow out of this yeah. this promise. Yeah, and they're all all the promises that and Paul says it in Second Corinthians. All the promises of God find their yes and amen uh-huh. in Christ. Yeah, um, which is uh, so when we're we're reading uh, the Old Testament, just a reminder that. Where it's all about Jesus, it's it's pointing it's pointing us forward to Christ, and none of these promises can be divorced from mm-hmm. the gospel that's been promised. Yes, right, absolutely. All right, so the first point, verse two, uh, the promise of the gospel, and now in verses three and four, we get really the the substance, uh-huh. the substance. What 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 is the what is this gospel that's been promised that mm-hmm. Paul is now preaching? What is it? Um, and so we we see in verses three and four really the the heart of the message, uh-huh. right? Right. Concerning his son, yeah, that's what he says. And you should pause there. There's you know, in the, even in the English, there's a comma. Right. You ought to pause and just consider what you just read. Yeah, I uh, I was reading it um, Sunday morning before I came to church, and I, I I I saw it. I saw it, and I didn't have any commentaries. I wonder if that's if that means what I what it looks like it means. Right. So I was I was glad when you uh, when you brought it out that yeah that that's right that's right. that's how that's how we're supposed to read it. If we're reading it if fast reading though, it. we'll mm-hmm. miss that. Yeah, we'll read it. Right. if you read it just fast. You're just like maybe reading in the morning. You'll read according to his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. But that's not reads. Right. Think about it slowly. Mm-hmm. The gospel of God concerning his son, and then it is who was descended from David according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. So we're talking really, I'm gonna say, we're talking about the same person, but really two different um, aspects of this one person. Yes. We, we talked about this 
some last mm-hmm. week how we we don't we don't think as theologically as we should mm-hmm. and so we miss what's going on here right I like i like the the um the way that you presented it as uh, as a you right um, yeah. I, I thought that was helpful yeah so i've been and i've been thinking more about this this morning all that kind of is in that statement the gospel concerning his son mm. and then there's the u-shape pattern which we can get into but you should think about this He's about to tell you the story of the second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Like pretend, you know, we're, we're yeah. sitting around a campfire. Right. He said, "Let me tell you the story." Mm-hmm. Like maybe we're in the new he- the new heaven and the new earth. Yeah. Let me tell you the story about the second person of the Trinity. Mm. Let me tell you the story about his son. Well, where do you start? Right. Yeah. You start with uh, his eternal divine nature. It's it, it goes really from ontological Mm-hmm. Like his being, yeah, it's a statement of his being, right? To his office, his right. function, yes, yeah. And we don't, we don't, we don't often think in those terms. Yeah, it, you almost get like a mini John's Gospel here, mm. and I, and I kind of presented John's Gospel because right. that U-shaped pattern is the way John's Gospel unfolds. The beginning of John's Gospel begins where no one else's does, before time and space. Mm. <laughs> like it begins before time and space itself, right? It's crazy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there are two people there, two persons. They're both God, but they're but we're not talking about two different gods here, mm-hmm. right? They are one and the same God, and that and Christians throughout history have all they've always believed that God has existed as one divine essence in three persons. Mm. And people think that's a contradiction. We right. talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. We talked about paradoxes and contradictions. But to, so that's not a contradiction. A contradiction would be to say we believe in one God and three gods, or if we said we believe in one person, one divine person, and we believe in three persons. Mm-hmm. Those are contradictory statements. Right. But not one. We believe in one divine essence in three persons right. eternally. That's not a contradiction. It is a paradox mm-hmm. because that's so far beyond our ability to grasp right. uh, as human beings. And really, I mean, shouldn't God be that way? If you just think about it, shouldn't God be that way? We we talked about this um, a, a couple of years ago when we were coming off the the Christ Center Churches Conference on the Trinity. That yeah. even the even the the Many of the Jews in the Old Testament were believing this. Uh-huh. They didn't have like a carefully worked out confession like the Christians did at um, like Nicaea, mm-hmm. but they were still expressing God as one, and yet there's a plurality mm-hmm. within God. I mean, mm-hmm. e- even in Genesis chapter one, uh, in the beginning, Elohim, right. Which is a plural word mm-hmm. with a singular meaning, right? God, who is one, but in some sense is also plural, right? Um, and we've talked about um, the 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 presence of two Yahwehs yes. in the story mm-hmm. of of like Sodom and Gomorrah, when Yahweh on earth calls down fire from Yahweh in heaven, and how even the even like rabbinic commentators right. are <laughs> wondering what does this mean right what's going on here it seems yeah. like there's two yahwehs right yeah 
Yeah, and so that's John's gospel begins there, and then of course we see how the U-shaped pattern we start up here with the eternal glory that is shared by these persons, but the Word is the one who becomes flesh, right? It's not the Father. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us and mm-hmm. reveals the Father, fully reveals who the Father is in His incarnation. And then in that humiliation, uh, His way back to glory, you see Him pr- praying about His own glory in John 17. Well, His way back there is not through, you know, uh, any human means. It's through the most humiliating thing a human could ever experience, crucifixion, mm-hmm. public crucifixion. And so through that crucifixion, he goes through death, resurrects, conquers death, and is then given the glory he enjoyed with the Father before the world ever existed. Mm -hmm. And his prayer is that we would be with him to see that glory in John 17. The same pattern exists in uh, Philippians. It's crystal clear there in Philippians Mm -hmm. chapter 2 that he's writing, he said, I want you to have this mind amongst yourselves, because he's wanting unity in the church, so that takes humility. So he gives the best example he can. Consider Jesus Christ, who though was he, he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped. And the word grasp really means something like to use to his own advantage, mm-hmm. but instead emptied himself, taking on the form of a serpent, a servant. So he he's humiliated in the incarnation. And you have to, to grasp how humiliating that would be. My Muslim neighbor grasped it. I don't think many Christians grasp it. He literally said, God would never do that. That's too hum- humiliating. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you you got it. You got it. God stepped into this into this sinful world infested with sin. And he never sinned. He lives a perfect life as a servant and humbles himself even more, even to death on a cross. But then because of that, he's highly exalted and given a name above every name, so that the name of Jesus every every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, which is where this actually ends here in this first section, mm-hmm. Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ our Lord, right. to the glory of God. So you can see the U pattern, and what's here, it appears, is the same in just a few short sentences. So mm-hmm. it begins not with the incarnation, it begins with, this is the gospel concerning the eternal Son, right. who was eternally co-equal with the Father. He's not lesser, right? he shares in the, the one divine essence, so all of the Attributes of God we can maybe study individually, omnipotence, omnipresence, all of that, perfection, all of that, Je- uh, Jesus, before he had the name Jesus as the eternal son, that's his divine essence as well. So the gospel is concerning this second person of the Trinity. And it's it's interesting to note that the the labels of father and son are not something that are slapped onto these persons mm-hmm. later. Right. That God is Father, mm-hmm. um, the second person is the Son, right? And so that's that's the, and we could get into all kinds of right uh, difficult right. ideas of yeah. uh, He's begotten, He's eternally begotten, right? Um, just go read Matthew Barrett's book. Yeah, and, Matthew Barrett has a long book on it. <laughs> There's a shorter one called "Delighting in the Trinity." Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, who is that by? I can't. I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves. Yeah. yeah, and we have some of those at our church. I think we mm-hmm. still have some that yeah. people want to read. Those "Delighting uh-huh. in the Trinity." Great, great, great book. Yeah. So um, 
this is the gospel concerning him, his son. That's where we start here. Mm-hmm. But then he talks about who he is according to the flesh, right? Who was descended from David according to the flesh. That ties us back into the gospel promise. Mm-hmm. That gospel was promised in the Old Testament. So in his, in his flesh, he's truly a human being, mm-hmm. and he's descended from, from King David. He has to be, according right. to God's promises, if he's going to be king overall, mm-hmm. forever. Which also gets into um, the Messiah's role as the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that. It's not. That's not just um, an ontological title, right. though he is the Son of God, right. eternally. But in his incarnation as the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He is the Son of God also. Right. So you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and God promises to David that one of his offspring is going to be the Messiah. Yeah. And God says, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. Right. And so the the kings, the the offspring of, of David, are considered the sons of God. Uh-huh. But the Messiah is... The Son. The Eternal Son. Right. Right. Made flesh. Yeah. And so now we're talking about his uh, human nature. Mm. So if before we were talking about his eternal divine nature, now we're talking about his human nature. And this has been the orthodox formulation for for forever, mm. since the early church, that in Jesus there has always been one person. You can't separate him into like some type of two personalities. Mm-hmm. There's the one person who has an eternal divine nature and has now forever, because of the resurrection of the dead, has it has an eternal human nature. Mm-hmm. You brought up that uh, that interesting video. <laughs> which which uh, one? The 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 archaeo the archaeologist. <laughs> yeah, you, you brought yeah, that yeah, up. Yeah. You brought that up. I I watched that a couple of months ago. It just popped up on yeah. I don't. I, I was watching something on YouTube and it oh, was man, like a need suggested to, video. And it you was, need to find it. It was. <laughs> You gotta find that video, bro. <laughs> Let yeah. me see if I can find it real quick. But go go ahead while I'm. I while think I'm I can for, find it while and, looking uh, for it and send it to you. So I watched. I watched it. It's uh, yeah. It's it's weird. Yeah, yeah. But so many Christians can get pulled into it. So I, I kind of introduced it to like. So I'll send Drake random things, and I'll be like, "Can you spot the theological error?" Mm-hmm. Right? Because you want to be like not just a book theologian, but you want to spot error. Like when it pops up, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and be able to discern truth from error. Where is this? Hmm. Wonder if I do a search for it here. I can find it. Um, but it's uh, it's an archaeologist. He's yeah. talking to a room full of Christians. Yeah, and it's it's like an apologetic, right? He he. <laughs> <laughs> He's acting like this is this is undeniable um proof right here. Right. He found a cave under Golgotha. Right. Yeah. And under it <laughs> even <laughs> even talking about it, it just it's it's like Indiana Jones far fetched. Yeah. He, I fi- wish- he finds the Ark of the Covenant, which we already know is in a a CIA yeah, we warehouse. already know that. We already know that. Yeah. <laughs> he finds he finds the Ark I of the Covenant underneath video, underneath uh, Golgotha, and uh, there's blood on it. There's blood on the uh, 
the top yeah. of the arc. Maybe, maybe we don't have to play it right. since we can't find it. Yeah. It's uh, and he's kind of known as uh, a guy who's found some archaeological evidence for things. Like he's, you know, found uh, a crossing in the Red Sea, which he says matches better than what historians have said. And in in that part of the Red Sea, they have found like chariots, like wheels from the from that time period, and a different mountain, uh, the mountain of God, um, in a different place than it's it's right here. I've, oh, I've, you've got I've it. Found it. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear it because we have we need to understand that Jesus was truly a human, right? If he's not truly a human, and I thought for a second uh, during this point where I said, well, I'll say what I said later, but a family got up and did they leave? A whole family leave? I didn't know if they were like Ron Wyatt fans or not during the during the sermon. Yeah, it was during this part. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe they. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they really <laughs> liked the video a lot. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Here, I'll turn the volume up. Okay. So when you start playing it, it'll actually work. Well, there's... I don't... There's a four-minute one and an eight-minute one. I don't know which one... Which one do you want me to play? I'll try the four-minute one. Four-minute one? Yeah, let's see. All right, let's give it a shot. Uh, for seminars, wonderful, thank you. My question is that you said that you had the blood of our Lord examined by the Israelis. That's correct. What was their determination of that? Okay. Then, now, we won't be able to take second questions. I'm sorry if you're on your second one, please just step out. I love you. Okay, but we're running second. out of time. So, what George was saying was he goes to Golgotha and digs under in a cave, and he got this blood sample because he says he found the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. And on that Ark was some blood, mm -hmm. and he had this blood examined. Right. And that's kind of where this right. picks up. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, okay, uh, dried blood is dead blood. Everybody knows that, all right? They can test the blood of the pharaohs, the mummies of the pharaohs, all right? There's certain things they can do. They cannot get a chromosome count by any method I'm familiar with, all right? Things keep changing. I don't profess to know everything. However, there's no way I know that you can get a chromosome count out of dead blood. You can get a DNA and some other things, but not a chromosome count, all right? That's done by living white blood cells. Now then, first of all, in this analysis, I took the blood into a laboratory in Israel. I asked one of the people I work with in, in antiquities, where is a good laboratory that does reliable work? And they said, such and such, such and such, I took it. I just said, please examine this blood and tell me what you can tell me about it, all right? They said, well, look, we're going to reconstitute it. We're going to put it in normal saline and keep it at body temperature for 72 hours with uh, gentle swirling, all right? That's their business. That's great. I said, now, I want to be there when you check it out. They said, fine. So I was back. They checked it out. I said, now, uh, they said it's human blood. We can tell that. They did whatever tests they need to do. And then I said, take some of the white blood cells and put them in a growth medium. 
and keep them at body temperature for 48 hours. And they said, well, that'll do no good because it's dead blood. I said, would you please do that for me? And they said, okay, we'll do it. So anyway, I said, I want to be there when you take it out and examine it. So I was back there. They took it out, examined it under a microscope, and the one technician called the other one over there, and then they called the boss over there, and they were talking Hebrew a mile a minute there for a little bit, and they looked at me and they said, Mr. Wyatt, this human blood only has 24 chromosomes in it. Everybody else has 46. You see, 23 from your mother, 23 from your father, 22 autosomes from your mother, 22 autosomes from your father. You get an X from your mother, you may get an X or a Y from your father, all right? This blood had 23 chromosomes from the mother's side, one Y chromosome only. You see, the ch child could not have developed if they hadn't had the autosomes from the mother. So all of his physical characteristics were determined by his mother's side of the family, her autosomes. His maleness was determined by this one Y that came from the source, not a human male. Then they said, this blood is alive. And then they said, whose blood is this? I said, it's the blood of your Messiah. There you go. That was the video, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That offer of money is coming in that day, boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to go on an archaeological ex expedition for the Spear of Destiny next. <laughs> you know the Spear of Destiny? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, do. It was the spear who stuck okay. right. The Nazis were looking for that. Mm-hmm. Good thing they didn't find it, boy. Oh, man, they would have taken over. Mm -hmm. Unstoppable. So, you know, <clears throat> Christians don't often, I don't think they really read. Uh, well, they get they pulled in by the emotionalism. Right. It's like he's, uh, you know, he's about to cry uh, talking about this. And they're, I mean, they it's all emotionalism. They don't, they don't think, mm, wait a second, if that's, right. if that's true. If they, yeah, if that's true, like Jesus is not a human. He's something else. He's something else. He's like a third type of being, mm -hmm. and that would be the ancient heresy of Eutychianism, right? That the there's a, a you could call it a Superman. Can you spell that? No, I can't. <laughs> okay. you can, so he's like a Superman. Yeah. Um, and that's what he would be. If, if what he says is true, Jesus is more like an alien mm. than he is a human, but he's truly a human. And if he's not truly a human, there can be no vicarious sacrifice. Mm -hmm. No vicarious sacrifice, no human paying the death penalty, then there is no gospel, and we're still dead in our sins. We're all lost, mm. right? Uh, but he truly is a human. He had a human nature. Right. Not a 99% human nature and a 1% God nature. Mm -hmm. Um he is the one person with an eternal divine nature existing, coexisting with the real human nature. Right. He's truly a human mm -hmm. according to that human nature. So yeah. um, we, need to, we need to grasp that. We need to understand that because it, it seems like that's what's kind of being emphasized here. 
it was the eternal son, uh, but there was a point in time when the eternal son took on a human nature, mm-hmm. and that is according to the flesh descended yeah. from David. And there's there's mystery there, for sure. In the incarnation, we we don't uh, <clears throat> we don't have all the answers um, to that, right? But that, we know we know from what the scriptures teach what we have to affirm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are three. Those are the three great. The three great great paradoxes are the Trinity, mm-hmm. the incarnation, and uh, God's absolute sovereignty being compatible with with humans' uh, moral agency, mm-hmm. right? right? What people often call free will, though, is a very bad description. Mm-hmm. Human responsibility would be better. God's yeah. sovereignty with human responsibility. Those are paradoxical, but they're not contradictory, um, and. That's what Christians have always affirmed. Yeah. Yeah. So um, his son, mm-hmm. uh, eternal, second person of the Trinity, yeah. was born yeah. of the seed of David, which is important. He he has to be from he has to be from Abraham. He has to be from Judah. Uh-huh. He has to be from David. Right. Um, he he has to be because mm-hmm. that's what God said. Yes. Right. So uh, if you ever are reading the Old Testament and you come across a genealogy and you're like, "Why is this here?" It's all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're they are they're looking for the Messiah, mm-hmm. um, and he has to come from this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why Matthew begins his gospel the way that he does. Yes, right. Yeah, um, and then he is. I'm reading the LSB here. Okay, right. All right. All right. <laughs> he was designated yeah as the son of god in power right what does that mean jay <laughs> all right so people will if you totally like empty your brain out of everything we just talked about if you're reading it fast as i said before you can read it fast you're just going to read he was this gospel's concerning his son who was you know concerning his flesh was descended from david mm. so you may have in your mind might you might not even be holding that he's already talked about the eternal divine nature mm. And then you come to this point, and it appears like he's saying there was a point in time where he was designated as the Son of God, mm-hmm. and that point was the resurrection of the dead. Like mm-hmm. so, at that point, God like adopts him as yeah, his son. It's like Gnosticism, right. and Adoptionism. There's a lot of uh, heresies in the early church that, right? Yeah, are misunderstanding this. Yeah, the the key the key though is really just found in slowing down and reading it, knowing that we've already talked about that his eternal nature. And then in the story, we've descended the U-shaped pattern, mm-hmm. and now we're on the back end going up. Because mm-hmm. what what he's really telling us here is the gospel is the story of the second person of the Trinity, and that story doesn't really even end at the resurrection. Right. It keeps going. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is resurrected from the, from the dead as a human. That's what we forget. He doesn't throw off his human nature. He has a body. Yeah. He has a divine and human nature forever, right. for eternity. Mm-hmm. And what he's declared to be or designated, he's declared to be the Son of God in power. Okay. So if you just take a pause there, and the language of it really shows you that's how you should read it. He's not declared to be the Son of God. He's declared to be the Son of God in power. Mm-hmm. And then he tells you how, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. That's the means by which... He was declared to be the Son of God in power. So we have the Philippians <clears throat> story mm-hmm. told here in these short few verses. And that Philippians story ended with after the resurrection, him being exalted and given the place of power mm-hmm. over every 
ruler authority. Right. So that everyone would bow the knee to Christ as Lord. Mm. We we get a picture of that in the Old and the New Testament. We mm-hmm. get like a visual. Right. It's the Daniel throne room scene. Mm-hmm. So he's not just declared to be the Son of God. He's always been that. Right. But in the incarnation, all of that glory was was hidden in that humility, right? In the frail human form of Jesus, he was humiliated, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. It, it appeared that he was, that his entire mission was an absolute failure. But through the resurrection of the dead, it's God's statement that everything that this man, Jesus, said about himself, you know, he called himself the Son of Man, he said he could forgive sins, he even took the name I Am for himself, all blasphemous statements. Um, he really was that, and he really has the power and authority to forgive sins. And so the resurrection of the dead by the Holy Spirit is not just a resurrection. It is the continuation of the story to the place of power, and those two words are very important, in power. Mm. And uh, that, what commentary was it that was so good on this? I was telling you about it. Um, you mentioned John Murray that's a it. lot. John Murray's commentary on this was... Very good and very helpful. A lot how, of the, how did Calvin? Uh, did he come through for you, or was uh, no, John he, Murray really? Uh, the... He didn't. He kind of. I think maybe because he's he likes to talk about the Holy Spirit. He really kind of latched onto that aspect of. And it. there, uh, there's. I mean, you see the Trinity here, right? In, right. in this passage, yeah, yeah. You, know, you have you have the Father and the, the Son and the Spirit. Yeah, the Gospel of God, the Son of God, the Spirit, mm-hmm. all there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so Daniel, Daniel 7, mm-hmm. um, he sees one like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days, and he's given a kingdom, right? He's given dominion. The kingdom right. of all reality. Mm-hmm. He's given supreme power. And we, we get the parallel vision in Revelation chapter 5, mm-hmm. uh, where it's it's the same thing. It's uh, the Father is sitting on the throne, and one approaches him. Yeah. This time it's one that... It looks like a lamb that's been slain, uh-huh. and he goes up and he receives the kingdom. Right, he, he receives dominion. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's going on here in just a, a few words. Yeah, and, and what a, people should think about when they read this is think about like every person that's ever lived is caught up in this story, right? This story, this U-shaped pattern that's just talked about in these few short verses is really the story of the whole universe. Mm. So I don't know if people like to read like fiction or sci-fi and they have this like real big story. It's like the story of like this world. Mm-hmm. Well, the story of our world, the one that actually exists, is a really big story. Yeah. It's the story concerning his son. Mm. And that story doesn't end at at the crucifixion of Christ or even at the resurrection. That story continues into his enthronement to the place of supreme power. And it continues to the end of the world mm. with him as that ruler. Right. So that's the good news, is that this God-man, truly a human, uh, eternally the Son, he condescended, he, he, he was humiliated to be born in the likeness of men according to the flesh. He suffered and died for sinners, paying the, ran- the ransom, the death, ran- the death penalty you know, that we should pay. And he conquers death through his resurrection— and he not only just lives forever as like some type of, you know, Superman, mm-hmm. he lives forever as the enthroned God-man, mm. given the place of supreme power. Yeah. 
and we know he's coming back mm-hmm. to establish his kingdom forever. Right. So it's a lot in this couple. Yeah, verses. it is. Yeah, there's a uh, that there's a lot. Yeah, um, it's Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's, that's it. That's the first two. And first that's two the elements. and that's the good news of the gospel is yeah, it's um, it is an objective reality. It's it's a set of truth claims. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I mean you're. You don't have to like. I think I feel like some people they go they share the gospel. They're like, oh, let me tell you the good news, and it's it is good news, but it's told in such a small way. Mm. You should tell it in this big way. Yeah, right. And the gospel is not your testimony. Right. 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 Like your testimony is a part of how you trusted in Christ. But yes. The the gospel is. A set of historical objective realities about Jesus, right? Yeah, okay. and that's it. That's the first two. Okay, cool. Well, three verses. Yeah, only two points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there there were going to be four points. We we're going to go through yeah. verse seven, but okay, we just there's no way to do that. So, well, we we have to slow down though because mm-hmm. people may not understand this. Like our church has a a lot of new Christians yeah. in our church, right? And and a lot of people who aren't Christians yet, and I'm ta- and we're talking about like adults. Mm-hmm. So a lot of new converts that are adults, a lot of people that are we think getting very close to becoming Christians, like that they, they don't know these things. Yeah, they've never heard them before. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, we got to I got to slow down and just kind of explain this. Yeah, and it's Romans. There's no yeah. sense in there's no sense in rushing through it. Yeah, it's not like you're Lloyd Jonesing it. Yeah. I was talking to one of our uh, one of those new believers about Romans, and he started listening to Martin Lloyd Jones' uh, series on Romans, and yeah. uh, he said there's like four sermons in this in this section, right? So, <laughs> yeah, this section where I was wanting to investigate this statement that he's declared to be the Son of God in power, mm. I have Lloyd Jones' commentary, but I was like, I don't. I don't have time to read forty pages. Yeah. <laughs> like I got, I got forty pages that, here. Yeah, that have, was uh, that was me with uh, John, uh, John Owen's uh, Hebrews. Yeah, like I don't have time to read twenty pages on one verse. <laughs> right, <laughs> I just don't have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Boy, Jones is great, but yeah, he well, does, he's the doctor. Uh, right? he he's the, the doctor, doctor and yeah. he dissects mm-hmm. everything. Like he'll say this word, and yeah. then he'll he'll like. Uh, analyze it from like every angle and everything he says is true yeah. but he is he's like if he comes to a sick person tell me your symptoms yeah and he'll like no all these symptoms uh-huh. mean this thing and that's right. kind of how he approaches the scriptures right. uh, did he get through romans i'm not sure i don't i don't want to say that he didn't get all the way through but i i could be incorrect i don't that's even easy, know how many fact check. in that commentary series yeah. i don't even know how many there are i don't know there's a lot yeah yeah there's a lot i yeah i can't remember if he got got through it or not yeah hopefully you'll get through it jay yeah we're, <laughs> we're counting on you well hopefully world war three won't break out and uh-huh and i can finish it right all right well anything else no okay all right <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today. Hopefully this has been beneficial for you. If it has uh, been, make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Um, you also can download the Christ Fellowship Church of Lawton app on uh, what? Apple Store and uh, Google Play. 
Um, you can find the podcast, and also you can listen to the sermons that Jay is preaching through Romans. So be sure to do that and uh, share it with uh, family and friends. And uh, this was a little bit of a had a little bit of a free for all Friday feel to it. Uh, a little bit, today, of stuff a little in bit. It. But uh, we are planning on uh, starting a series on Fridays. So be yeah. sure to come back, check out uh, Free For All Friday, and until then, God bless. <laughs>